Welcome to the Front Office Exchange, where we take a look at the careers of executives and rising stars within the sports business. Now, here's your host, Jake Failing. This is episode five of the Front Office Exchange podcast, and our guest today is Brian Killingsworth, Chief Marketing Officer of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I was introduced to Brian through a mutual friend in the sports industry, and we met over lunch a couple of months ago in Tampa. Kerry Cox, a member of his marketing team, both at the Bucks and from his days with the Tampa Bay Rays, joined us as well. And she and I shared a similar early career as well, uh, both at UNC and the U.S. Olympic Committee. It was a great example of how tightly knit the sports world is. Brian has a unique career, uh, which he spent across two major sports leagues, and he provided interesting perspective on the challenges of trying to market a team like the Rays, whose fight for a new stadium and attention in the St. Pete, Tampa area are well documented, and like the Rams, who formerly fought for relevancy in arguably the nation's strongest baseball town. Brian was kind enough to join me amidst the Bucks' busy preseason schedule, where they have generated a ton of excitement around young players like Jameis Winston and Gerald McCoy. It's great to hear about the success he's having in his new role there, and I know he's thrilled to be back in Tampa. With that said, I hope you enjoy Episode 5 with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers' Brian Killingsworth. All right, Brian, I appreciate you joining us today. Jake, thanks for having me. You got it. So how are things going right now? You've got the NFL... Uh, season bearing down on us. Preseason games are starting. Uh, have things really ramped up for you here in the last couple of weeks? We are so excited to kick off here, and it's only a matter of days until until we have the first game at uh, Raymond James Stadium. We have so many renovations that are going on with the stadium. It's a $140 million renovation project that we've been working on, and we're so excited to unveil that to our fans on September 25th when we kick off against the Rams. 140 million. I mean, did you guys have that much to improve? Well, you know, we looked at some of the enhancements that have been done throughout the league, and we thought long and hard about uh, what we could do to really enhance the game day experience. We listened to our fans. We talked to and surveyed them on a regular basis. And one of the things we wanted to upgrade is really the game day entertainment that we could offer our fans. And so we looked at our boards, and they were an area that we thought was an opportunity for us to upgrade. And we're going from 2,200 square feet video boards in the north and south end zone to now 9,600 square feet. And so it's going to be an incredible experience. But more so than that, we're going to have 360 video all throughout the stadium. So we're going to have ribbon boards that are the tallest in the NFL. We're going to have tower wall boards. So we'll have six boards in each end zone. And so it's really going to be an immersive 360 experience when you go to a Bucks game now. And we'll have the third largest video space in the NFL. Are we going to get the creamsicle uniforms at any point this year? You know, those fans, our fans love them. And me, I, <laughs> they love I grew them. Up, great. I grew up a Bucks fan, so I grew up in that era. And so it's something that, uh, that our fans, you still see out and about. Um, there are some uh, rules now in terms of the helmets that preclude us from doing anything too much throwback in terms of the entire uniform experience. But, you know, you still see all the old school jerseys when you go to the stadium and and fans love it. So it's interesting that the throwback still lives and, and, and people and fans get excited about it. Well, yeah, and uh, we don't have too many throwbacks here in Charlotte with the Panthers. We haven't been around as long, but um, I will keep it professional here. I wish you guys the best this season, and uh, hopefully in our, our two matchups go uh, to the good guys. <laughs> the good guys being in Tampa, right? Uh, exactly, okay. exactly. All right, so now you're, you're there with Tampa. 
Um, but let's go backwards a little bit. So, you know, I like to start these conversations where uh, people walk through their careers and we can move uh, quickly at a high level and, you know, I'll stop and we'll talk about transitions and things like that. But how did you end up where you are today? You know, I've been very blessed to, uh, to be in the right place at the right time on a number of different occasions. And so, you know, I grew up playing baseball and football, both in high school and, and knew I wanted to do something in the sports field when I got done playing, whenever that day was. And so I had a chance to play in the Cape Cod League and had some great baseball experiences. And, you know, I decided after I was done with baseball that I want to continue my career and, and pursue an MBA uh, from that perspective and really more of my academic career. And and so I really had an undergraduate degree that was focused on communication from Flagler College. And I thought I really wanted that business backbone that I could really apply later in life. And so I went back and got my MBA from the University of South Florida. And through that process, I was able to make connections with some of the people within the Tampa Bay, then at the time, Devil Rays organization. Uh, and I worked on a group project with the team through my MBA and really trying to market the Rays was our group project. And we wanted to market it to the next generation fans and and look at how the Rays could do more outreach to college students. And that was a fantastic experience because that project helped open doors so I can meet some of the executives with the Tampa Bay Devil Rays at the time. And when an opportunity became available right around the same time that I was uh, graduating, um, they called me up because of the experience that I had in presenting to them. And, and so I graduated from my uh, MBA program at USF. And I was considering a couple different options, but when the call came about an opening to run baseball camps for the Rays, I jumped at that opportunity. And so got a chance to experience a lot of a lot of highs at, at the Rays. And, you know, I learned a ton through that process. I worked my way up in marketing um, over the course of 10 years and eventually uh, was the senior director of marketing and had a chance to go through some amazing times and learning really how to market uh, the total fan experience. And so we did some unique promotions, some incredible giveaways. We went through a rebranding and got a chance to taste the World Series. And so my time there with the Rays was was tremendous, had a lot of great mentors, learned a ton. And um, I was there for about 10 years. And then I thought, you know, I thought it would be a good time to look at the NFL and see if some of the different things that I'd learned over the course of the years and applied uh, in terms of promotions and marketing and advertising could be uh, translated over to the NFL side. And and so um had an, a chance to talk to the Rams, and and I felt like that was a great fit for me. And so I uh, moved my family to St. Louis and had a chance to learn the NFL side with the Rams for three years and do some really incredible things. And and then the opportunity became available here to come back home to my hometown and and uh, run the marketing division for the Bucks, and I jumped at the chance after three years in St. Louis. So uh, a lot to cover there. So if you look at the the baseball piece, obviously the the Devil Rays, the Rays, um, their unending fight for the stadium and for relevancy in the area is well documented. Um, while you were there, and, and even since, you know they've had a lot of success on the field despite all of that, in spite of all of it. So, you know, give me a sense of uh, the culture when you were there um, and how someone uh, works through those challenges on the marketing side. You know, it's interesting when uh, when you're in the last place in your division 
in baseball, you know, specifically within the whole American League, you have the opportunity to be in the top three draft picks the following year, which is a plus because you get to see how a team can build through the draft. And so we were um, had the, the dubious distinction to, to finish last for a few years there as we were um, as we were growing through 2004 or five. And then uh, in, in six, and so you get guys like David Price and cornerstones of the franchise like Evan Longoria through that process. And so what I learned a lot in Tampa Bay was, was how to market the overall experience. And so what we were selling was the memories that, that a family um, can gain and can earn and can, can really take from going to a live game with the Tampa Bay Rays. And you know, I was there through some of the lean years where I think it challenges you even more how to be a better marketer. You know, you have to market more so than the product itself. You have to market the experience and the shared memories and everything from the food to, um, you know, the, the, the shared bonding that you get at a baseball game. And so we really challenged ourselves uh, in terms of marketing creatively and thinking outside of the box. And I think those years really helped formulate some of the same strategies I, I look towards today. And, you know, then uh, Stu Sternberg came on board as a new ownership. Um, and, and that was really the, the change of the guard there in Tampa Bay for the Rays. And, and what it did is it, it, he really looked at it from a different perspective. And uh, Mr. Namoli there was a tremendous owner and, and uh, did a lot of tremendous things for that franchise. He basically gave Tampa Bay that franchise and, and fighting for, for that expansion team. And, um, but then when it changed hands in, in, uh, in 2005, it was really interesting to go through that process to see how a different ownership group would, would look at an organization. And so we really took a step back and looked at the culture and, and what needed to be changed and what needed to be addressed. And the rebrand was part of that. And, but I think it was important to look at it from two perspectives. One, to look at it from an internal perspective, because before you can rebrand outwardly, you have to look at what that rebrand is going to mean internally. And so it was important for, for Stu to give everybody a voice to, uh, to see how they would look to improve any element of the organization. And he did a tremendous job in making sure all of us as employees were stakeholders in that process. And it was uh, a great learning experience for me. And, and they spent about two years really working on, on that and getting us right um, inside out. And then it was time to rebrand. And you know, we went through that process, which from a marketing perspective is just a, a dream come true and, and something that, uh, that is really once in a lifetime to go through. And uh, that process, I learned so much. And, you know, we looked at it differently than other teams have, have done the rebrand. And we really did the research the right way. And, and when, we, when we announced and officially launched our jerseys, we did it in a really unique way. And we invited Kevin Costner to be the first person as kind of a brand ambassador to represent the jersey and put the hat on. And we had right. all of our players there and celebrated. And, and we got lucky. You know, you have to be at the right place at the right time, and you have to get lucky sometimes. And we got lucky with uh, the play on the field. And so the team just took off after the rebrand. And so we got propelled by that. And that was the year in 2008 that they went to the World Series. And, you know, to have that, after your rebrand, you can't ask for a better scenario. And so you started seeing the green turn into blue. And so everybody was, was wearing their jerseys and the whole town got behind the team. And it was really fascinating to see. And, and that was a really magical run in 2008. Uh, but that rebranding was something that I take uh, as far as learning into uh, everything I do even today. Do you feel like, 
you you know I, I know everybody hustles. Everybody works hard. Do you feel like you guys had to um, do things a bit differently um, to try to to gain that that recognition in the area? Obviously, Tampa, St. Pete, it's a very it's a huge area. Um, and in doing so, has that helped you in your later career stops? Have you been able to take anything from that experience into your time with the Rams and, and now the short time with the Bucks? Yeah, I think it's important to look at what you're marketing. And so we were trying to grow a fan base just like we did in St. Louis and, and just like we're doing here. You want to grow your fan base. And we've got an incredible area here that's a tremendous market. There's a lot of, of different options for entertainment. And, uh, and so what we're trying to do is differentiate ourselves. And so with the, with the Rays, it was important to grow our fan base in, in unique ways. And so we launched a, a concert series that, uh, that that was tremendously successful after we found what the sweet spot was in, in these post-game concerts where we picked a game that was already a good game, and so you make a, a good game great. So you look at a Saturday opponent that was a pretty popular game, but you look to take it from 25000 to 32000 and you really try to make it a sellout. And through the process of, of these post-game concerts, you know, we look to grow our fan base that way because we selected artists like, you know, Miranda Lambert and, you know, the Beach Boys, everybody from Vanilla Ice to um, Daughtry. I mean, we had some really significant names. And our thought process through that was let's get the fans of that particular act to come out and see a concert that's free with their ticket. And it's an hour concert. It's an hour set. And we would see tons of fans of that particular act come to a game and you know, through some of the research that we did after the fact, some of the times it was their first time at Tropicana Field. And so it was a great way to sample the product and sample the experience and get people to come back on a recurring basis. But that was one example of how we kind of thought outside of the box and really growing the fan base. And I think you learn a lot from, from and I learned specifically a lot from that strategy and, and really trying to package what you're offering in a different creative way and really try to bundle it and make people really excited and really let the buzz captivate the market. Sure. And when you went through your career, you mentioned uh, the way you described it was, you know, I'd been with the Rays, the Devil Rays for 10 years, and, you know, I just thought I'd give football a try. So I want to go back to that and let you unpack it just a little bit more. So, you know, anytime someone's been somewhere for 10 years, Obviously, there's emotional ties. You've got a, a far more intimate tie to the to the Tampa area, just in general. Um, what was it about the timing um, that you were ready to go? Um, was it just looking for that next career challenge? Was it specifically the NFL that you wanted to move to? What was it? Yeah, I think it's a combination of a couple things. I mean, it was, it's an incredible organization. I still have a ton of friends over there. I learned a lot, and so for me, it was looking at an opportunity within the NFL where I looked at there was only a handful of teams at the time that actually needed to sell tickets and really needed dedicated staff and a strategy to really sell tickets because the NFL is such an incredible product that across the league, you know, you've got everybody from Green Bay that's got, you know, a huge waiting list that people pass along to generations and you can't even buy a ticket to other markets that, that are more challenged to sell tickets. And so, you know, I thought the timing was right for me. It's interesting, I, I saw an article um, when Theo Epstein left the Red Sox, and he kind of made reference to uh, the 10-year window of, uh, of somebody's career and how he thought it was, it's, it's a good time for people to kind of switch things up and uh, just, just challenge themselves creatively. 
And uh, and so when he left, you know, his role with the Red Sox and joined and joined the Cubs, you know, it was right around that time when I was kind of thinking that anyway. And you know, I kind of looked to that as inspiration. Should I be challenging myself even more than uh, than I do on a daily basis with the Rays? And you know, anytime you're in a position, you're always trying to grow and always trying to to, to do things better year after year. But I thought, you know. I'm at the point in my career where I really wanted that that ultimate challenge with uh, you know the best uh, sports league in, in the country and, and really in the world with the NFL and so we we looked at it at, from a different perspective and really evaluated different markets that had an NFL team that needed to really sell tickets and I gravitated towards St. Louis and the Rams and uh, that opportunity became available and uh, and I and I jumped at the chance. Okay, so now you're in St. Louis, and uh, you're with the Rams. Obviously, the NFL is huge. It's the biggest show in town, and in most cities, that's the case. But in St. Louis, there's the Cardinals, and for those that aren't familiar, the passion around that team uh, is almost unparalleled. I I mean, you could put it up against the Yankees. So uh, what was it like going to another market and having to, you know, I don't know if you'd categorize it as compete, uh, with the Cardinals, um, but market up against them or alongside them. It's interesting because you look at the two markets and they're um, almost polar opposites here in Tampa Bay. You know, Tampa is an incredible community. Most people aren't from Tampa. You know, I, I'm one of the the few native uh, Tampanians, uh, and it's interesting because people have. Is that what it is? Is it Tampanian? Yeah, I mean, you call it a couple different things. Yeah, it's uh, Tam- Tampanian is used. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I'm fourth generation, and so it's interesting because you don't have a lot of that here in Tampa because people already have built-in allegiances. It's such a great place that they move here, and it's their final destination, and people come here from all other parts of the country. But, you know, the team's been around since 1976, and a lot of times, you know, they people move here with built-in allegiances, whether it's the, you know, the Packers or the Steelers or the Giants or whoever it might be. And so you've got that in Tampa. And then I moved to St. Louis, and most people are from St. Louis. You know, you're in St. Louis, and the first question you get asked everywhere is, you know, what high school are you from? So people assume you're just you're just from St. Louis, and that's that's who you are. And it's uh, it's a, a great uh, contrast to Tampa. And I think that was good for me because I got to learn how to market a completely different way with a market where football is the secondary sport to to baseball in that market, like you said, with the Cardinals dominance that has been built over the years through tradition and through the radio network and and really the whole midwest here in kmox and really growing fans throughout generations and you know uh with the rams it was really looking at the opportunity of the market with everybody loyal to the rams and loyal to st louis but how do you build that uh fan base uh with with a team that was uh kind of how the early rays were in terms of the win, wins and losses. And so I tried to take my same approach and, and really thinking outside of the box and coming up with creative strategies and, and really off-the-wall promotions to get people talking about the Rams and, and really market the experience. And so you know I, I, I learned a lot through that process, and St. Louis is a fantastic town. And um, you know it's, it's interesting to see what, what has happened now with the move to, to L.A., but I learned a ton through that process and you know, loved my time there. It's hard to complain about where you are now. You know, back in Tampa, 
uh, a job that, uh, you know, having talked to you, I know you love there. You love the challenges. Would you say that move to St. Louis, which kind of got you into that, that NFL family, the NFL pipeline, was that a turning point in your career? Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it because, you know, I wasn't familiar with the NFL. So I had to learn the NFL schedule after 10 years, you know, working the baseball schedule and knowing it like the back of my hand, you know, walking into a situation where I needed to learn everything from, you know, when training camp was, when OTAs were, when the draft is, and really how football is a 12-month commitment. And in football, really every month there's a marquee event going on, whether it's league-wide or team-wide. And, and so for me, the turning point was really when I went to St. Louis because it really challenged me for professionally and personally. I got a chance to learn football. I got a chance to really grow from that perspective, um, apply some of the same principles and ideas that I'd done in Tampa, but, you know, learn the market, learn football, um, and then execute some really fantastic things. I mean, we had a lot of fun in St. Louis. First, first time we uh, broke a world record with the Jeff Fisher mustache giveaway where we had everybody <laughs> wear a, a mustache for his first game there in St. Louis. And so we did some crazy things that, that got people talking. And, you know, we had a, uh, a Rampage mascot game use fur card that we gave away. And so we, we, we had some fun there. And, and you know, it's, it's interesting because – um, you know, the team wasn't winning 10 games a year when I was there either. So, but you got to see a real impact that we were able to make in terms of new season ticket sales and some of the concession ideas that we were able to pull off and, and really, you know, kudos to, uh, to really Kevin Demoff and, and, uh, and that organization for giving us the, the opportunity to think outside of the box and, and to execute some really fun things. For a senior executive, what, is the day-to-day like in football compared to baseball? So you've got in baseball, everybody knows about the 162-game schedule. You can easily put that up against a 16-game schedule and say, oh, sure, I'll take the 16-game schedule. Um, but for you, day-to-day, um, is it just as hard? Uh, is it just as much of a grind? Or is it far more just bigger events but just fewer of them you know for people that are getting into the sports industry it's, it's hard to really comprehend when you're not in it how the off season is the most critical part of from a marketer's perspective your workload and so you really have to front load how you prepare and so all of the execution um is really just happening during the season and so you're really just in execution mode but everything happens front-loaded all the planning, all the strategy, all the research, all the development, all the vendor relationships, all the creative. And so um, that part hasn't changed. Um, yeah, it's, it's eight home games versus, you know, 81 home games. I mean, that, that's obviously people can take a look at that. Um, but it's, it's more so from a marketing perspective in my role, you're really doing a lot of the same things. You're, you're looking at the peak season. You're looking at planning your marketing calendar. You know, you're looking at off-season growing your fan base. You're looking at the content strategy, how we grow that. Um, retail, how we sell um, sponsorships and ticket sales to maximize our revenue potential. And, and so a lot of the same things that, that can translate, do translate well across baseball and football and I'm sure across other sports. So now you're in Tampa. Um, you're back home. Has it been? Did you were you able to hit the ground running? Uh, were a lot of the vendors, your clients, the same? Um, and how has it been different? Are you 
uh, received differently. Obviously, the NFL is a, is a big deal there, but the Lightning aren't too shabby either. So how has it been coming back and in a different role? You know, it's been great for me. And so one of the things that I was excited about is obviously for the familiarity with the market. Um, you're right. I mean, I've got some of the same relationships that I built over 10 years with the Rays that are in the same place in terms of, you know, media relationships and uh, advertising partners and, and a lot of different uh, people that, that I really leaned on during my time here. And so when I was hired, you know, it wasn't the steep learning curve. For me, I was able to hit the ground running and I was able to have the resources that uh, the ownership here uh, enabled me to, you know, bring people in that I trusted. And so I've got staff members here from Kerry Cox, who I worked with the Rays for seven years, and Chris Kniff, who was also one of my interns with the Rays, to Casey Phillips, who was our team insider with the Rams. And so they trusted me to bring in the right people. And uh, we've got a great complement of of very talented people that were here uh, before I got here. And and part of my role is just uh, is just bringing everybody together to collaborate the right way for the right reasons. And so um, the, coming back home has been a tremendous opportunity for me, again, personally and professionally. Uh, my wife is, is from Florida as well. Uh, I've got two little young boys now, so they get a chance to be around family, which is um, you can't put a price tag on that. And, you know, coming back, I feel like, and I've told people this, that, it's like you're buying a stock at the right time before it takes off because this organization is on a meteoric rise and you can just feel it coming together. And it's the same type of feeling that I felt in 2007 with uh, the Rays. It's it's on the brink of just, just taking off and you've got eight to 10 truly marketable superstars now. And you've got a franchise quarterback uh, who's a complete rock star and he just does a tremendous work in the community. So on and off the field, you see the makings of a consistently championship-winning organization, both on and off the field. And I, I'm tremendously blessed to be able to help shepherd the marketing side of, of, of this and really really capture new fans as they get on board for the ascension to greatness here. So has the, the workload been intense since you've been back, or would you say it's pretty normal? You know, you've got... Uh, some young studs on both sides of the ball, but like you said, you're um, you're at a point now where you're trying to take that next step as an organization. Um, would you say it's more intense uh, trying to get folks like Winston and others out in front of the uh, community? That part isn't intense because they're such great guys. I mean, our our guys right. have been so tremendous. I mean, Jameis has uh, he's really taken to Tampa Bay. He's really earned the trust of this community, and he stayed here all off season. He's just bought a home. He spent all offseason working out here, and and he was at uh, probably three or four different youth football camps every month here in the offseason. And so he was helping other players. He was having his own football camps. And so when you start getting guys that are committed to the community and people see them on a, on a daily basis outside of, of the season and outside of, of Raymond James Stadium, you got you start to build relationships and the trust level there with our players and their commitment. And Gerald McCoy is another good example of that and all the time that he spends in the community and the vision mobile program that he helps represent and, and that we deliver eyeglasses to kids that, that can't necessarily afford them in different title one schools throughout Hillsborough County. And you start seeing the team really making an impact that way. Um, in terms of workload, you know, when you're in sports, you're used to the workload and it's just something that you thrive on. And, and we've got a tremendous team here that, that is very specialized in what they do. And, 
the workload has been has been heavy, but it's all for the right reasons. You know, we've got a renovation project. We just unveiled a preview center where, you know, we looked at it from a cutting edge perspective. And so we're we're the first team to offer it from a virtual reality perspective to show live video stitched in a virtual environment. And we have Jameis actually giving fans a tour of the new renovations. And so we've tried to approach things from an out-of-the-box perspective. Uh, and we've gotten great buy-in here from everybody across the organization. And, you know, this team really thrives, an organization thrives on, on innovative approaches to football, to business. And, you know, it's interesting to see some of the things that have come out of here at One Buck Place, but we've got cryotherapy chambers where our players are using for recovery. We've got shake stations on the football side. We've got virtual reality for the football side. We've got the business side doing really innovative things from from virtual reality to, um, you know, different heat mapping and different analytical approaches to uh, and measurement of success and measurement of, of our advertising campaigns. And it's just interesting to see how everything's coming together. We're really building the foundation for when things do really take off on the field, we'll be ready to capitalize. Who's been important to you, both in your professional growth, um, whether it's in baseball or football, and then from there also, who do you look at? It could be in either of those sports or elsewhere in the sports industry where you say, you know what, they're really doing a good job. I I love what they're doing. And and maybe even on the flip side, uh, something that you see in marketing, in professional sports, where you you wish that just the industry as a whole could be doing it a little different. You know, in my career, I've had, uh, I've had great mentor leaders. Uh, my first career uh, with the Rays, I had a, a guy, my first boss named John Brown, who uh, was a tremendous impact on me and really taught me the ins and outs of marketing and advertising. And uh, I learned a ton from him. I still stay connected with him. And in St. Louis, I had Kevin Demoff, um, the, uh, the president there, and again, learned a ton. And I've had the luxury of, of these mentor leaders that have also taught me not only as a boss, but also more so in terms of, of getting me prepared for that next step and, and really challenging me in my way of thinking. And, and then here I've got Brian Ford, who is a tremendous leader and my boss here. Um, and, and I'm able to learn from, from these uh, executives and, and really soak it in, but also challenge them in, in the way that I uh, think sometimes. And, and it leads to uh, a great growth curve for me and for the organization. So from my career, I've had these great mentor leaders that have set me up for success and you know, in terms of looking at, you know, overarching, you know, I think a lot of teams do things tremendously well, and, and that's part of our industry. We try to benchmark and see what are some of the unique ideas that, that other teams have done. And, you know, baseball, football, all sports have great examples of this, but I'm constantly looking at trade magazines and, uh, you know, following Twitter to see what the next greatest idea is. And, you know, I think that virtual reality is an emerging space that I think is going to get really hot. Uh, you know, we're entering in that pretty heavily in terms of our organization, really in four different ways uh, on the football side, on the business side with content and uh, for our renovation through that side and uh, and also at the youth development side. And so we offer that as a youth training tool. And I think that's interesting to see how other teams have, have explored that and continue to look at that as as a, as a tech innovation. And so I think that's something to, to pay attention to. And you know, just looking at our business as a whole, you know, we're, we're putting in all these great uh, video boards and we want the experience to be something that people want to come to just see the show. You know, the product on the field is fantastic, but we want it to be a true show when they come. 
to be so entertaining that they want to continue to come and they want to come back. And you never know what you're going to expect on our boards. And Raymond James Stadium has a pirate ship that we shoot off cannons after every touchdown. And it's, <laughs> right. it's really a unique vehicle to really showcase the NFL. And, and now with these star playmakers and, and a tremendous show that's going to rival anything in all sports, it's, it's a really great opportunity to showcase that. You mentioned Twitter, uh, trade magazines. Uh, are you a podcast guy too? I mean, are any other books or um, media outlets or anything else you read maybe that you'd like to recommend? You know, I, I look at TED Talks a lot. I'm not, I'm not that big on a ton of podcasts, but I, I look at TED Talks just for some quick, quick inspiration. Uh, I am a big reader. I, I'm looking right now. I'm reading a couple different books, and I think my problem is I, I read bits and pieces of books at, at the same time. I don't necessarily just start one and end it right away i'm guilty of that too and uh, so right now I'm, I'm reading purple cow by seth godan sure. the levity effect by adrian gostick is, is a good one that really deals with you know just just keeping things loose but being creative in terms of of really culture and and then the one thing by gary keller those are three books that i'm, I'm kind of digging into now and um, i'm at different different places within each of those books but you know, I think Twitter, I'm addicted to Twitter. And so I look at Twitter as, as a really tremendous resource. And depending on the follows that you have, you know, you can learn so much. It's out there and information is everywhere. And, and, and really, I, I tell my staff, ideas and inspiration come from anything. You never know what's going to hit you. And something's going to affect you differently than it will some, somebody else. And so you can get an idea from anything. And I think Twitter is a great vehicle um, for finding different ideas, new ideas, getting inspiration um, I think it's fascinating the deal that Twitter just did with the NFL, and I'm excited to see how that works for the Thursday night broadcast. But um, I constantly challenge myself to keep learning and staying on the cutting edge of technology and learning, especially in my world, what platforms in terms of social media and digital, how that is working. Because you know the the, the standard ways of of advertising, you know, aren't aren't the norm now. And so gone are the days of spending the majority of your money in, in TV and radio and print and outdoor. It's it's now segmentation and really personally speaking to somebody through a platform that they want to be spoken to and, and really getting smart and efficient with that. And uh, that's where I try to keep challenging myself and, and our staff to really uh, learn from not only sports, but, you know, the best of the best when it comes to brands and and other entertainment venues and, and just learn is continual learning is so key. What about advice? What would you say is some of the best advice you've received? And for someone that's trying to get break into, again, you've got a unique blend here, whether they're trying to break into baseball, whether they're trying to break into the NFL, I'm sure you get that question all the time. How do I get involved? What's the best way to get involved? Is it ticket sales? Is it volunteering at a you know an event that maybe you do in the public? Um, so two pieces, advice that you've received and some that you give. I think advice that I received is uh, is just be bold. And I think that that can be however you interpret that. But, you know, you got to find a way to stand out, whether it's, you know, if you're looking to break into an industry or looking to break into an organization, you can't just be another resume that comes through. You have to find a way to stand out. So oftentimes I tell different people, you know, if you're looking to, if you really targeted on a particular organization or a particular industry, try to create value. You know, for instance, you know, if you see that a team really isn't 
isn't really focused on, uh, say, virtual reality. Well, do a research study on all the teams that use virtual reality for what different reasons and how it's impacted the bottom line and send that research project to each of the teams. And that way you provide value to somebody who might be in my shoes and will say, wow, you know, that, that actually stands out. Because too often times when you're breaking in the industry, you know, you think you just show your resume and you're going to get hired. And I think that you got to find a way to stand out. You know, once you get your foot in the door, however that might happen, you got to find a way to kick through the door and, and really uh, accelerate your career. But, you know, I think too oftentimes people expect that they're going to be handed things in sports, and that's not the case. You really do have to pay your dues and pay your dues the right way. And, you know, there's so many different ways to break in, and there's not one clear path to follow. It's not just get a sports sports business or sports management degree and, you know, spend two years on the phones and taking sales and then work your way up to marketing. I think that's the unique thing about sports is, you know, you can – pretty much have access to anybody within the industry nowadays, whether it's through LinkedIn or you can find somebody's contact info. So I think don't be shy, be bold, stand out, um, and, and, and really find a way to provide value. Were you given that advice as well? You know, I was given that advice uh, in a different way when I was going through my, my master's degree uh, at the University of South Florida because, you know, I was able to kind of carve out the networking opportunities with senior executives through this project. And so the, what I thought basically was, you know, find a way to get inside, meet the right people, um, find a way to wow them and then leave your mark so that it, they almost, you almost make it so they can't hire you. And so that's kind of the advice that I got. Um, but it's interesting because when I was going through grad school, um, I was told never take a, a job out of this MBA program less than $70,000. And so when I had the opportunity with the Rays, I said, uh, you know, I would love to work for the, for the Rays. And when the offer came, it was at $24,000 a right, year. Right. And <laughs> right. I said, sign me up, you know. And so I think you have to follow your passion in your heart and, and realize that good things come to you if you work hard, and, you know, over time. And, and uh, they did for me. I've been extremely blessed. So you've got an MBA. Now, a lot of colleges, universities now are, almost everybody has that master's in sports administration, whether it's pro-focused, overall-focused, or just on the college level. Um, would you, what would you recommend? I mean, are you happy that you got the MBA? I, you know, I'm sure, obviously, a lot of the skills that you learn and the network you just talked about is helpful for you. Um, but for that student that's coming out and maybe they're not loving the, the jobs that they're seeing, maybe there are no jobs that they're seeing, would you recommend they go the MBA route, MSA, or just, hey, put your head down, get the real-life experience, and then leverage that? I would find a way to get some sort of secondary education. So I think it depends on the on the particular candidate. So if somebody like myself, just for example, I had a communication undergrad degree, and I think it's a fantastic college, uh, and I learned a lot. Uh, what I felt like I needed was the financial backbone uh, to really take my career to the next level and to really learn the principles that you need to balance a budget, P&L management, things like that, that, that you really apply on a daily basis. And and so it was probably the best decision that I could have made for my career because not only did it allow me the opportunity to get into an organization like the Rays, but I still use a lot of the principles I learned through that and through getting the business background uh, even today. And so I would strongly suggest somebody uh, goes and gets that secondary education and, 
And specifically for me, the NBA was so key because of that uh, alone. And so uh, if there is an opportunity for somebody to pursue that, I strongly encourage it. I think uh, even though you might not see the payoff right away, uh, you will see it at some point in your career, whether it's down the road or, you know, some, some, some positions, they look for MBAs only. And so it's, it's interesting. I, I think it's something that if you have the means and you have the time and you can do it, I strongly would encourage it. Now, it sounds like you've put together a dream team of sorts of people that you used to work with um, at the Rays and otherwise. But let's say a position opens up with you guys. What are you looking for in, let's say, a director of marketing? For me, uh, well, I've got a tremendous director of marketing, so I have to call her out real quick, Carrie Cox. I think she's. Oh, I know she's, Carrie too. This is not. Look, Carrie, you're not losing your job. That's not what this is. <laughs> she's irreplaceable. But, um, right. Now, if I was looking for a candidate, you know, for me, uh, it's a few things. You know, I want somebody who is a true leader. I want somebody who's going to take charge, somebody who's not going to uh, just go with the flow, somebody that can challenge my way of thinking. Um, I'm looking for somebody who has kind of been through the fire a little bit and, uh, and through experience, and, and, and I can truly tell that they are well-versed and, and, and can really speak the language and, and know the right ways to really run a marketing department. But uh, for me, it's, it's a lot about fit in terms of the organization as a whole. But I need to know somebody who's a good communicator, who writes really well, and, uh, and, can, and is not afraid to challenge ideas. And so I look for strong thinkers. I look for people that, um, that do have some leadership capabilities, whether it's, you know, whether even if it's as small as, you know, used to be captain of my high school football team or you know, my high school soccer team. I look for things like that that show somebody who's led a team uh, and who knows how to lead effectively. But I think writing is such a lost art, and it comes across in everything you do, whether it's just in the email communication internally or you're trying to sell something. You have to be able to write, and I think that's a lost art that, that I really want. As, and the candidates that I look at, I really, really look through their writing samples or their cover letter and some people say that's extinct, but I actually look at that. I think that's, that's a good indicator of somebody, how they have attention to detail and how they can communicate with words. I think it's so key, especially in our industry. So that, those are some of the things that I look for. And what about for you? Obviously, the, the paint hasn't even dried, really, on the new role. You're in the C-suite now. But you know, as you look down the road, five, ten years, career aspirations, um, you know, what would be that next step? Is it a president of a team, something like that? Or have you reached that dream job? You know, this is a dream job. And so I haven't really thought beyond that because you know, I have so much to learn here and, and so, much to, to, uh, so many ideas that I want to pull off here. And I think that... For me, you know, you always want to continue to grow, and I think there's ways to grow. Obviously, within this position, like you said, I'm only here for a year and a half so far, and, and this will be my second season. And you know, I want to I want to go here and, and grow here, and win a Super Bowl with this team. And, and there's a lot of great things that we're gonna we're gonna do on the on the marketing side. But the dream team aspect is so true because you know, like I said, the organization gave me the resources to staff the right way, and it's so great to be able to work with people that you enjoy spending time with, that you know when the fires do come, they know how to put them out, right? They're empowered, and I trust them, and they trust me, and the process works because there's a, there's a plan in place, and there's a strategy in place, and everybody's on the same page, and there's loyalty there. And to me, that's, that's what's so exciting about this opportunity is because we've got extremely talented people uh, throughout this organization 
and we're going to get ready to ride the wave of success. And that's now where we're staffed up appropriately. And so that, to me, that's, that's really looking at the opportunities here with the Buccaneers and how we can really captivate this fan base and get, uh, convert more people throughout the whole state of Florida and becoming Bucks fans. Cause you know, we still have a long way to grow here and, you know, I'll sit back three years from now and say, all right, now every game is sold out and, uh, and we've done our part here. Now what's the next challenge in terms of growing our fan base even more? And we'll look at different, you know, TV opportunities and broadcasting opportunities and technology opportunities. And, you know, we'll find unique ways to challenge ourselves and challenge the market. And, uh, and I'm excited for the potential here. Great. Well, we'll wrap it up. Um, but a couple questions in closing. Um, are there any athletes – uh, that you maybe looked up to when you were younger or any sporting events that you haven't attended, um, anything on your bucket list um, that you'd love to do, see, accomplish here over the next couple of years in sports? Athletes, I, I had a bunch that I looked up to, actually. So baseball, uh, it's an obscure player that not many people really know, but his name is Brian Downey. He played for the Angels, and I was a sure. huge fan of Brian Downey because he was – really a self-made player and he was kind of the first guy that really got into to weightlifting and, and really transformed his career that way and so I, I followed his career uh you know and really was a big fan of his and Ozzy Smith I had a chance to meet in spring training and had that kind of personal interaction with him and so uh never really perfected his backflip but always was a fan of Ozzy and He's somebody I looked up to in terms of that Tell me there's video of you trying. <laughs> Nobody has that. So uh okay. we're all right with that. Because we could make this a multimedia podcast. I could put this on YouTube if you want to send Nobody it. Nobody wants to see that. There'd be nothing but fails for sure. I guarantee you we want to. All right, go ahead. And then football, I was a big Doug Flutie fan. And so I always followed his career. And I was the five foot ten quarterback thinking I could make it in the NFL and uh, realized that was uh, not my career path. And so, but was always a fan of Flutie and the way he kind of uh, went against the odds. And um, so he's kind of an, another athlete that I looked up to for sure. And, um, you know, in terms of just overall, you know, for me, it's uh, it's interesting to see you can get inspiration from anybody. But, you know, we're blessed to work in sports and be around these incredible athletes. And when you get a chance to meet, you know, I had a chance to meet Brian Downing and obviously spend some time with Ozzie Smith. But realizing when the guy you looked up to as your hero is actually a really good person, too, I think it, right. it actually fulfills that. And you, and you realize, you know, uh, it was the right thing to do and looking up to this guy and I had that experience with Brian Downing when I was with uh, with the Rays, and it was neat to see because, you know, he really was a good guy. And there's some stories like that that aren't necessarily necessarily the case, but with him, it was uh, it was definitely that. And so those are those are two that I've looked yeah. up to. Yeah, you hate to hear otherwise in that case. And and Downing, I, he's a beast, and he's a big guy. He is. He was uh, he was one of the first guys that got into weightlifting, and I was actually I watched him at a game in Yankee Stadium, and. Um, as I was kind of growing my career in baseball and I watched him strike out and he went back to the dugout and I loved his intensity. And I said, look at this guy. And he sat down in the dugout and he was literally punching himself in the face because he was so upset at the way that he handled that at bat. And I said, that intensity, if I could capture a 10th of that intensity when I played, you know, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that to my kids. That's how you play the right way. But I think you take a little bit from, from life experiences. And, And so he's a guy that I looked up to for sure. Well, if, if I talk to Carrie, is that what happens when a, <laughs> when a marketing campaign goes south? Could she find you in the office punching yourself? I'm a little more level-headed now, so I, okay, I'm not right. necessarily applying that approach to my professional life. All right. 
All right. Well, hey, you mentioned Twitter. So where can people find you on social media? Are you active personally, or would you rather we all just flood the Bucks account? Uh, it would be awesome to flood the Bucks account, but I, I'm at, uh, at BKillin7, so B-K-I-L-L-I-N-7. And uh, I actually, my two little boys, are I, I ghost post for them, so I kind of uh, chronicle their growing up through Twitter too, which is kind of a different approach, but uh, – it's it's pretty interesting. I love I love Twitter and I love uh, what you can learn from it. But to me, you know, there's a lot of things that I push out there from a brand perspective. But uh, at TB Buccaneers is is our team account. You know, we do a lot on Snapchat. We do a lot uh, with Instagram, uh, obviously Facebook and all the platforms. But uh, for us, you know, we really have behind the scenes access. So if you don't follow our accounts, I'd encourage you to follow them for sure. Well, Brian, so many good things to take away from here. Uh, such a unique career to go from baseball, spending a decade in baseball, and then leveraging that uh, into the NFL, and now for you being able to come home. So I wish you and Carrie and the rest of your team there all the best. Good luck this season. I hope you go 14-2, and two, and, uh, <laughs> and I appreciate you joining us. All right, Jake. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Front Office Exchange, where you hear about the careers of some of the leading executives in sports business. Visit us at frontofficeexchange.com, on Facebook, at Front Office Exchange, and on Twitter, at Front Office E-X-C-H, to access past episodes, show notes, and much, much more. 